Your outline is in your in your bulletin, um, an insert. We're in Ephesians today, talking about watch your step. It's very interesting that um, you know it as well as I do that life is a walk. Uh, in fact, uh, it is a synonym for our life. Someone will say, "How are you doing?" Well, it's usually about how they're walking and what they're doing in life, and how is and it's just. Uh, an answer indicates when you ask someone how's your life, it usually indicates how you, how you are walking. And all through scriptures you will notice that the word walk appears. Very interesting. Uh, it, Enoch, it says he walked with God. Uh, it's interesting that in the end of the Bible, in 1 John, you will find a verse there that says that, um, in, in that epistle that we are to walk as Jesus walked. So there are specific commands about how we are to walk. Um, we had a, a little friend in, across from our home in the Amazon jungles, 2,000 miles up the Amazon. His name was Anthony in English. And Anthony was an amazing little guy, a cripple who could never walk. He'd walked at one time, but was made uh, invalid. And he just would swing in his hammock all the time. And someone would come down the jungle trail, and I would be visiting with him, and I would, uh, you could kind of hear the pitter-patter in the jungle trail, you know, on the dust or whatever, mud. And Anthony would turn me and say, he'd say, oh, that's Joe coming. Joe? How do you know? You can't even see him. Can't even get out of his hammock. He could tell by the footsteps on the trail. Isn't that amazing? He could tell anyone that was coming down the trail. I don't know how he had he he had supersonic hearing and he just knew everybody's footsteps. Well, I tell you, folks, that's the way the Lord is with us. He knows our footsteps. He knows where we're going. He knows where we've been. He knows all about us. He knows our steps. So let's look today at Ephesians two and two. That's where we start, and that's the first one. It's a uh, it comes about seven times in the book of Ephesians, the word walk or its derivative. And notice uh, Ephesians 2, 1. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, there's the word, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. And... That's an interesting description about, and we call this our previous walk. Point number one, previous walk in verse 2-2. Two, two. Um, every non-believer is walking that route, that road. That is a description of a life before meeting Christ. Uh, William McDonald made an interesting observation. He said, he said this about Ephesians, the world has a mold into which it pours its devotees. It is a mold of deceit, immorality, ungodliness, selfishness, violence, and rebellion. And in a word, it is a mold of depravity. That is what the Ephesians had been like. And those are not nice words to listen to and to hear but without Christ, that is really a picture of one's life, how sad it really is. So he talks about in, in chapter 2, the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, according to the spirit of adversary, uh, who works in the sons of disobedience. And you see, if you have never received Christ as your personal Savior, 
you are considered disobedient. And a lot of people say, well, how could I be disobedient as a non-believer in Jesus? Well, it's interesting, the Apostle Paul, you come into the book of Thessalonians and you will find a verse there in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and 7 and 8. And it's a very interesting combination of words how the Holy Spirit has let us know about this. He said, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not, listen to this, obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the command to be a believer, it's a command. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Those who do not listen and obey that command are disobedient. And God talks about it in the Bible. The verse we just... You see, there, there are a lot of false ideas about salvation. Uh, one of them is that all are born children of God. Many people that you talk to, they'd say, oh, we're just... Uh, uh, everyone was born a Christian. Well, see, then if that's true, when you notice the verses that that we have noted in, in the bulletin outline, uh, John 1.12 dispels that so quickly. Notice, but as many as received him to them, he gave the right to be called or to become children of God to those who believe in his name. So, it, it is something that you have to make that decision. Uh, John 5.24 says, Most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death unto life. And so the question is, one can't pass from death unto life if they never were dead in trespasses and sin, you see, but all were born that way. So anyway, what a wonderful lesson we have here in this in this wonderful first walk that's called the previous walk, the, the place that you and I walked before we met Jesus. Very important. Um, there's another there's another false uh, idea about religion or about uh, salvation that says all are going to heaven automatically. Oh really? Uh, uh, John 14:6 dispels that also very quickly because Jesus said, "I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him." Through me, Jesus. It's interesting, in my 63 years of preaching the gospel, it it is interesting that in most funerals that I have conducted through the many years, and hundreds and hundreds of them, most of the families and the people of the families of the deceased believe that their loved one is in heaven. It is a very sad thing, folks, that most people believe they're going to go to heaven. Seems like there was an old spiritual that used to say, not everybody talks about heaven's going there, right? And it's really sad, but it is so true. So one must be a believer in Jesus and not go according to this verse 2, a previous walk. Be sure that you are in Christ. Now the next walk is in verses, in verses, uh, in chapter 2, verses, uh, let me just read the, the three verses because they are so wonderful. And you know them very well, but let's listen to them again. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God 
prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What a great verse. This is, um, this is one of the clearest descriptions of the plan of salvation found in the Bible. There's nothing better. You have, uh, Paul told the Ephesians, you have been saved for by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. You see, if you could say that you saved yourself or earned your salvation, you would boast about it. And did you notice what Paul said? He says, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And then it goes on to talk about we are his workmanship. That's a beautiful word, that word workmanship. Uh, let me get to it in just a moment. But, you know, uh, salvation cannot be purchased. It, it, it is something that if you could, then, you, like I said, you would, vote, uh, you would boast about it. But a lot of people have misconceptions about salvation. They think that the confirmation, baptism, church membership, church attendance, holy communion, trying to keep the Ten Commandments, living by the Sermon on the Mount, giving to charity, being a good neighbor, living a moral, respectable life, that these things get you saved. Unfortunately, folks, they don't help. They're not the ones that get you saved. For by grace are you saved through faith, believing that Jesus will save your soul. That's what gets you saved. Well, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away, and behold, all things have become, become new. I love this phrase that Paul gives in verse 10 that says, We are his workmanship. We are, we are his handiwork. We are a product of God's doing something in our life by forgiving us of our sin. And uh, I think uh, another word that we could use, that we are God's poem. Isn't it wonderful to think that God wrote a poem when he saved you? You are his poem. And it's a beautiful poem that tells about what he did in your life. Well, the Bible has a lot to say about good works. You see, people think that you do good works to get saved. We know that that you are only saved by God's grace, and that after you are saved, then you do good works, because God said it so plainly here through the Apostle Paul. He said, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Now notice, not of works, lest any man should boast. And then verse 10, For we are his workmanship, his handiwork, his poem, Created in Christ Jesus, notice the word, for, for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You may not have thought of this before, my friend, fellow believer, but when God saved you, he intended for you to do something. He has a job for you to do. That's why you're saved for good works. Not because of good works, but for good works, unto good works. What a joy it is. Matthew 5.16, what a beautiful verse it is. It's written, the, the references in your, in your outline. Let, what a beautiful verse. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. We should take that verse seriously, my friend. Let your light so shine before the whole world out there that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Look at 2 Corinthians 9.8. 
And God is able to make all grace abound toward you that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. God wants you to be fully equipped to do what he saved you to do. A lot of people may never have thought that you really were supposed to do something that you got saved. And maybe a lot of you have never done anything since you were saved. But shame on us, folks. God saved us to do something to serve him. I hope that you have pursued that and are trying your best to allow God to use you to touch other people around you. Colossians 1.10, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. 2 Timothy 3.17, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So God handles the matter of good works so vastly in the Bible. You can look at the other verses later if you wish to. It is really, really a wonderful thing. I, uh, I trust that you are allowing the Lord to use your life to do in our world what he wants you to do. I read a, I read a touching story about a wealthy man who had a special violin. He had a whole collection of violins. His name was Fritz Chrysler. Have you ever heard his name? <laughs> what a genius he was. He had greatly longed to possess one of these violins that this wealthy man owned and had a collection of. So Fritz Chrysler begged the man for permission to play it just one time. Would you let me play it one time, sir? Well, he finally gave in, and he he picked it up, and he tuned it with trembling hands and began to play as only a genius can play. He poured his heart into it as he played that wonderful instrument, The owner stood transfixed until he was finished. He did not speak until Chrysler had tenderly returned that instrument to its case as gently as a mother puts her baby to bed. And then he said this to the Fritz Chrysler, take the violin. It is yours. I have no right to keep it. I think that's kind of the way it is with your life and mine, dear friend. We are to tell the Lord, Lord, take this life of mine, and I want you to use it the way you want it to be used in our world. Oh, what a joy that would be. Well, there is another walk. We've talked about the, I forgot to tell you what the name of the second one is called, a productive walk. There are all kinds of ways to say it. You can use W's too. You can say it's the working walk. (laughs) And the one we just talked about, the first one, you can call that the wrong walk. And this, I called it the second one, the productive walk. And now let's go to the third one. We call this a performing walk, or you can call it a worthy walk. They're all, they're all good. In, in chapter four and verse one, we have the next walk that's given to us there. And, and what a, what a blessing, what a blessing it is. Listen to it, to verse one. Therefore, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. What a, what a great verse. You might think that these are an awful lot alike in a way they are, but Paul likes, likes to bear home the responsibility of believers to walk the way that God wants us to walk. So this is, we call, we call this the productive walk in verses uh, 8 to 10. Uh, excuse me, I didn't mean to say that. We're supposed to walk worthy, in, in verse 1, walk worthy of your calling. Because this is Paul's way of 
helping the Ephesians to know how that we are to perform out there in society and in our homes and in our business. This is what we're supposed to do. The believer has been called to the highest calling there is. That We read that in chapter 3. And Paul asked them to act like it in their daily walk. That's all that God expects of us is to, is to, to act out in our lives what we really are as believers. Walk worthy of your calling. If you say you are a Christian, act like it. This is a call to live up to the name of Christian. This is a reminder we are to walk our talk. This is a, this is a, a, a convicting statement for us to live by. We were dismayed over in Idaho in one of our trips as we represented the shepherd's home for the mentally disabled. Um, a lovely family home from the mission field. Their beautiful teenagers and sub-teenagers, uh, children, had been homeschooled on the foreign field, of course, and they were home. And they came to my wife and they said that one of the, one of the saddest things that that they confronted when they were home is they could never, they could never find anyone, uh, in the Christian field, in the, in the churches, they could never find young people who were different than the world. What a sad thing. This, these young people trained in the mission field, homeschooled, on the field, of course, they weren't anywhere where a school could be in, in a home in the state, so they weren't in a, in a public school. But when they came home, they could not find any young people, at least in the churches they were visiting up to the time they told my wife, we can't find any young person that is different than the world. They're all the same. Can't tell the difference. What a shame, folks. If the world cannot tell that you are a believer, that I'm a believer, we are not doing things correctly, folks. We need to change and ask God to make us the way we're supposed to be. Well... It's very interesting that as we come to, as we come to the, another, another, I didn't go through all of the, um, it's interesting that Paul gives you a, a list of, of how you are to walk. You notice, notice in verse two, lowliness, verse two, gentleness, long suffering, verse two, forbearance, in verse three, endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace, and then it talks about peace again. So it's really something that we are to live this way, and he gives it in very good language there in verses 1, 2, and 3 of chapter 4 when he talks about this performing walk. I read about, I think you've heard about this too, I read about, um, of course it's a fictitious story naturally, two porcupines in the freezing north country of Canada they were huddled together to keep warm. Well, porcupines huddled together to keep warm. But because they were pricked by each other's quills, they moved apart. So they needed the warmth, but they could not because the quills pricked them and they couldn't stay together. Soon, they were shivering again and had to side, had to lie side by side once more for their own survival. And here is the punchline. They needed each other even though they needled each other. <laughs> Did you know, Christians, that we need one another? Someone in this room may really bug you. That's just too bad. You need them and they need you. Isn't that wonderful? We have such hang-ups on different 
things that we like or don't like and think it has to be this way or I'm just not going to associate with that person. Shame on us, folks. We need one another. Porcupine quills and all, right? Well, look at the next one. There's another walk in chapter 4, verse 17, and it's a very, a very, very wonderful verse, which uh, we have all read so many times. Let's read it again. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. And like I mentioned, that uh, Paul just hammers this thing about walking the right way. And now he's referring it once again to the, um, to, to the way that they, the Gentiles used to walk. They who were not believers used to walk. Paul saw the Christ, the Christ, the Christless world of the nation sunk in ignorance and degradation. And you notice that he has written about seven terrible things here that, uh, that he wants people to avoid in their life. And just, just notice how he says it in, uh, in, in these two, in these two verses. It's very, very interesting. And we may not take the time to actually, uh, actually uh, 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 bore you with reading them again, but I think you ought to notice the negatives in, in verses 17 to 19. They are very, very interesting. Um, having their understanding darkened, they were alienated from the life of God. They were ignorant, ignorant uh, the ignorance that was in them because of the blindness of their heart. And they, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. So Paul lays it on heavy, folks, about our walk with him, that we should no longer walk, and this is our, this is the, the precautionary walk, don't walk as the Gentiles walk. Well, there's another one, look at chapter 5 and verse 2, chapter 5 and verse 2, let's read verse 1 first, therefore be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Interesting. This is, we call, we call this one the passionate walk. Or if you like the W, you can call it the wonderful walk. Walk in love. This means, verse 1, to imitate God. You never thought of that, did you? But Paul says, imitate God. Marvelous, marvelous statement. God is love. He loves us as dear children. Verse 1. Imagine it, that he would love us. If you follow him, you're going to the right, you're going in the right direction, you see, verse 1. It says that, be imitators of God. This walk means to love as Christ loved us. He gave himself, uh, as an offering to God. His offering was also himself as a sacrifice. And what a beautiful, beautiful story this is. I, um, many of us don't ever hear about Sing Sing Prison, do we? About 30 miles from New York. When Lois, when Lewis Laws was the warden of that prison, um, the inmates were in a wretched, wretched condition. You can imagine. He introduced humanitarian reforms. He gave them much credit. He gave them much credit uh, uh, to his dear wife, Catherine, who had an unusual gift to go in the prison with her children. She was the warden's wife. And they would go to the games and listen to and watch the games as they played the games, uh, all the prisoners. And it's interesting, in 1937, Catherine died. She was killed in a car accident, and 
The warden noticed that the day after, uh, because uh, her body lay in a casket in a, in a house about a quarter of a mile from the, from the institution, and when the acting warder found hundreds of prisoners crowded around the main entrance, he knew what they wanted, and so he opened the gates, and he said, Men, he said, I trust you. No count is going to be taken. I trust you. Go to the house. See this, my dear wife, as she lies in state there. And they said, when the story was over, not one man was missing that night. Because, you see, love for one who had loved them made them dependable. What a story. Do people know that we love them like that? What a story. What a story of love and God's love through that dear lady Catherine. Imagine what would happen if we started demonstrating God's love like that to, to others, our friends. Okay, look at, um, look at the next one in uh, Ephesians chapter 5, and let's look at verse 8. There's our next one. It's called a prominent walk, a prominent walk. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. There you go. Notice how he always brings the past and then the presence, and now walk as children of light. What a, what a beautiful lesson. Christians are the light of the world. Believers now have this light in them. Believers are to walk as children of light. There is to be no darkness in us. There is to be an illuminating effect on the world. Matthew 5.16 that I've already quoted, I, I love that verse. Let your light so shine be before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who's in heaven. What a story. This walk demands a positive action. And we find those, we find those given in the other verses. And what a, what a story it is. We are, we are to, we are to not have fellowship with darkness. We are to expose the darkness and don't speak and dwell on the works of darkness. Verse 12 says, Get your mind and mouth out of the gutter and live the way Jesus wants us to live. A lighthouse keeper who worked on a coastal city was asked, What if one of your lights goes out, sir, in one of these lighthouses? He responded, Never! He explained that if I allowed that to happen, he would. He said he would live in fear of being blamed for the danger he would cause the ships. Never, he repeated, sometimes I feel as if the whole world is looking at my life. Well, they are, folks. They're looking at your life and they're looking at mine. They are looking at ours, too. How do you feel about that? They're looking to see the light of Jesus in your life and mine. I trust that we are portraying him correctly to them. Look, would you please, at um, chapter 5 and verse 15. This is what we call the prudent walk. Chapter 5, 15. Walk circumspectly. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Great verse. Wonderful verse. Um, a prudent walk. You see, the believer really has, the believer really has, has two main walks. The first walk is inward. 
And what that means is that's his, his faith or her faith toward Christ. This is the walk that God knows about you. So remember this, folks, that this is the inward walk, the one that's intimate with you. You know all about it. God knows all about it because it's between you and him. This is the inward walk of the believer. But then there's the outward walk, and that's the toward, toward all those people around us. This is the walk that other people know. And I'll tell you, folks, other people know how we are walking. There's no doubt about it. Wake up. Don't walk in your sleep. Anyone ever walked in their sleep? I used to do it unbelievably. I would walk blocks from our home in Phoenix, Arizona, through sticker beds. How do you ever do that? How do you walk through sticker beds, on weeds on the ground, when you can't do it when you're awake? I don't know. Anyway, I did. And uh, it's amazing. But a lot of people are walking in their sleep, spiritually. Don't do that. Wake up. Don't walk through life missing God's best for you because you are asleep and miss opportunities to serve Christ. We're supposed to be wise. Christ is wisdom. We are told that in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 24. Christ is, is wisdom. He is wisdom. And we are to tap his wisdom and use this work, uh, this word, uh, this is, is such a beautiful word. Walk circumspectly. I love it. Uh, not as fools. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. Well, how foolish to waste opportunities to win the lost when soon those opportunities might be taken away by the advances of sin in society. Paul was speaking to, he was speaking about the Roman persecution that was on the way. And uh, it, it was so very, very obvious that Paul wanted to get the message across to his people to walk prudently to walk circumspectly in this life. So we've talked about it a lot, folks, a lot of different uh, stories about walking. I read a story of a, of a lady who, um, who found a poverty-stricken cripple boy, and she was attracted to him and paid the expenses for a high-ranking surgeon to fix him so he could walk, and he learned how to walk. It was a marvelous gift from this lady whom he did not know before, and she gave him this wonderful, wonderful life. And someone said, someone said to her later on in years, um, um, how is, how is your son now? Or if, I don't know if she adopted him, but she said, um, he, he learned to do as others do, and, and then the friend said to her, well, uh, is he now a grown man? I want you to guess where he is and what he, what what he is doing. The lady who had helped him get all this far, and and uh, some guess. Well, I guess he must be a doctor, probably a humanitarian, probably is a welfare worker or a minister. And the lady who paid all this money to get this young man well, so he could have a productive life. Here's what she said: No, you are all wrong. He is in Sing Sing prison serving a life term for murder. And here's what she said, and oh, how important this is. We spent all our time teaching him how to walk, you know, physically walk, because he was crippled. We spent a lifetime teaching him how to walk, but failed to teach him where to walk. So families, help your children know where they should walk. 
And of course, then how to walk Paul's way, this way that we're talking about here, and not just this cripple boy here. Uh, I'm a great one in uh, talking about God's handiwork in nature. Anyone who's heard my Bible classes. Um, do you know anything about a pigeon? A pigeon is a very interesting bird. A pigeon, you ever notice they walk kind of funny? Anyone ever notice that a pigeon walks rather funny? They have a, maybe you haven't. Well, you will after this, I'm sure. Um, according to an interesting article in the Detroit Free Press, a pigeon walks the way it does so it can see where it's going. Because it can't adjust its focus as it moves, the pigeon actually has to bring its head to a complete stop between steps in order to refocus. So here's the way a pigeon walks. Head forward, stop. Head back, stop. And that's the way it goes through life. That's the way it goes through life. Maybe we ought to kind of stop folks, and figure out the focus, where we're going, and if we're doing things right, like the pigeon does. Let's pray. Father, help us now. As we come to the close of this interesting instruction from Paul, help us, O God, to walk as Jesus walked, and do what he wants us to do. Lord, We all have areas that we can improve, and I pray you will help us to do that. I'm going to stop right now and just ask you as your heads are bowed, are you here, my friend, today and realize that maybe in one of these walks you need some help? And just be honest and say, "I I need help from God and pray for me as we bring this service to a close. Anyone? Just say, pray for me as... I need some help in this particular area. Lord, you see the hearts. You know what's going on in our lives, that sometimes we have not walked the way that you want us to walk. Convict us, Lord, and help us to be what you want us to be. For Jesus' sake, we pray in his dear name. Amen.